are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women all over the country rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about do's and don'ts of self-care. Welcome, Mary. How are you? Doing great. Things are good. Good, good. So we wanted to tackle this topic today, self-care. Isn't this a big buzzword lately? Self-care, self-care, (laughs) self-care. Quite a doozy of a topic, for sure. Yeah. So it's interesting when you ask yourself, okay, what does self-care actually look like? What is self-care? A lot of times people are like, oh, I'm going to get a manicure. I'm going to get a pedicure. I'm going to go get a massage. That was exactly my thing. I, for years and years have just been like, you know, you just get a pedicure every three months or I don't know. Some girls probably do it a lot more frequently or whatever, but I felt like I was checking the box. Oh, yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Checking the (laughs) self-care box. And then you wonder why uh, you're stressed out or (laughs) whatever for the rest of the, what is that, you know, 89 days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the like you get the pedicure, you're an hour getting the pedicure, and then you go home and the house is still a mess. (laughs) The dishes are still in the sink. The toys are still all over the place. I feel like you're following me around. (laughs) (laughs) You're stalking me. No. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think we do hear the word self-care so frequently that it's like we're supposed to know what that means intuitively. Like what do I as an individual need to check that box off? And you see all of the, oh my gosh, I can't tell you how many times I've looked in Pinterest for self-care ideas. And a lot of times I'm like, ah, that just sounds like more work. (laughs) You know, that's more time, more energy that adds one more thing to my to-do list that is already jam-packed. So the topic can be kind of loaded and complicated. And there's almost an accusatory aspect to it. Like, what? well, what have you been doing for (laughs) self-care? That's so true. What you're you're struggling? Well, then you're not taking care of yourself, so it's your own fault, right? Right. Why don't you just take better care of yourself? What are, don't you? You know, don't you get a massage? Don't you take any time for yourself? And I know with me, like I'm in the throes of motherhood, and like my youngest just barely turned nine, and I don't. My literally the last ten years of my life is kind of a blur, so I'm not entirely sure where I would have squeezed in a massage. It just isn't realistic. And you know, for chronic migraine sufferers, I mean, if you're sensitive, if you're a chronic migraine sufferer who's sensitive to odors, the last place you want to walk in is a nail salon. Oh my gosh, true. Well, and even a massage parlor. There's so many like essential oils burning and the lotions they can put on like talk about a trigger zone right (laughs) right yeah even the massage itself the physical stress of getting a massage can throw a lot of chronic migraine sufferers into a migraine so there has to be a better way right (laughs) there has to be like an actual definition to self-care that makes sense well i'm so glad you asked right because my what i think of self-care is the decisions that we make around how we are treating ourselves, how we are talking to ourselves, how we are behaving towards ourselves, the choices that we make for ourselves. That's what I think of as self-caring. And it's interesting because we can make those choices for ourselves without going 
anywhere. Well, it's not something like if it if we're talking about how we talk to ourselves, it's not something you put on your calendar. It's more of a way of life instead of your calendar, like an appointment. And we've talked about this before when it comes to healing, that the conception that we have of what's going to make us feel better is always something outside of ourselves. It's the prescription that's external to us, or it's the supplement that is external to us that is doing the healing, right? Which is a false conception and even self-care, right? I mean, it's like, um, let me look on Pinterest for ideas, right? I'm sure most of those ideas are going to require you to do something outside of yourself, go to some other location, interact with some other person. It's the massage therapist that is administering the care if we are using massage as a self-care item. So again, it's like looking for something external to ourselves to care for us when really it's what we are doing for ourselves that can either be caring or uncaring, caring and compassionate or uncaring and punishing. You know, I like to, if we think about how we talk to ourselves, my goodness. I mean, imagine if, you know, I have an 11 year old daughter. I mean, think of one of your children. If you've spent the week talking to one of your children the way that you talk to yourself or, you know, how we talk to ourselves, we would never dream of talking like that to one of our children. Absolutely true. It's important to point out too that I think I've given this a lot of thought because, you know, I'm a psychology buff, right? I think that it's interesting that nobody ever teaches you how to think differently. Like, I think you grow up just thinking, well, these are my thoughts and that's what they are. And you just have to deal with them. And for me, only in the last two or three years have I realized every single thought that's in my head is my choice to keep or get rid of, to believe or to say, I don't think that way anymore. So important. Yeah, it is. And it's, it's a hard practice even to identify which ones you want to keep and which ones you want to give up. Yes. Lots of work for, for sure. But you know, how does, how does a typical migraine suffer? How do we talk to ourselves? Oh, I can't believe you're sick again. I can't believe you're going to ruin this for everybody else. Well, well, you know, I'm just going to tough it out. Don't let anyone know or see how poorly I'm feeling. You know, what if we talk to our kids this way? I can't believe you ruined the day again. Don't let me see that you're feeling hurt. Uh, you know, like we would never talk to our child that way, but we spend the whole week talking to ourselves like this. And then, oh, let, let me take you. Come on, honey. Let's go for a pedicure. <laughs> You're just supposed to forget all the other ugly things I said. It's fine. <laughs> so true. So, you know, how we talk to ourselves, how we treat ourselves. Are we talking to ourselves in a caring and compassionate fashion? Or are we talking to ourselves in a critical or punishing fashion? That doesn't require an appointment, doesn't require leaving the house. And I always think, you know, like, just like along with the children thing, if you wouldn't say that to your best friend, you shouldn't say it to yourself either. What choices are we making with our medication? It's very common for someone in the throes of a migraine attack. Maybe they're in a rebound situation. It's very, very easy, easy for us to get into almost like a punishing mindset. I'm going to get rid of this migraine if it kills me. I'm not going to let this migraine win. And then we may overtake our medication, right? I've had clients that have taken five, six, seven tryptan meds 
in a two-day period because we get into this punishing mindset. I'm not going to let it win. We get into a battle. And this is not, I'm not saying this as a criticism. I'm saying this with all compassion because it's so easy to get into that mindset. But when we're fighting a migraine, we're fighting ourselves. It's us that's generating the migraine. And so we want to engage when we have a migraine, we want to engage with ourselves in the most caring and the most compassionate way that we can. And that compassion and caring may be expressed with our medication choices. It just makes me think too, that like, maybe I'm just weird this way, but there's almost a disconnect between me as a person and my body. Like, maybe you're not fully together or aligned with your body. And that's what I don't know, maybe I'm just throwing out something, but like you're not aligned. And so it's hard to be connected to what you need. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great, great point. So a couple things come to mind on this. One, we we do have this conception in the West of the mind and the body being separate. We even say mind-body medicine or mind-body connection, right? It's two separate words for a phenomenon that exists within us, right? So I think culturally, we do have this conception going back to the Greeks, going back thousands of years, that they are two separate entities. And I like how you say we almost feel like our mental aspect is kind of riding around outside of the body. And then two, I work with a lot of clients that they've been in pain for so long that they have they have had to cope with that pain by disconnecting or disassociating with their body. Yeah, absolutely. And so that can make it very difficult to, like you say, tune in what would be caring, what would be a caring thing to do or a caring decision right now to take care of this body when I've been disassociating for 15 years due to the pain. It's a t- it's it's really tough. It's a tough question to answer. And I'm not sure if you've been suffering for 15 years. Like that's going to be a hard sell for me to want to jump back in. <laughs> like I'm okay over here in this uh disconnected situation. I'd rather not feel the pain. So it's just a hard hard place to be. The other thing that comes to mind is again, around what would be caring and compassionate choices or behaviors. A lot of times when people are not feeling well, when when they're in the throes of a migraine flare, it's like, eh, I feel bad anyway. I might as well eat the whole bag of Doritos. And everybody, I mean, nobody's surprised if you don't feel good after you eat an entire bag of Doritos. I mean, everybody knows it's not a health food, but when we aren't feeling well, a lot of times it's very difficult to generate that sense of caring. It's much more of like, oh, well. Do you think that, yeah, that comes from a place of just hopelessness. Like nothing I do matters. So why bother? Why bother trying to do something different? And, you know, self, uh, another thing that comes to mind around self-care, what are the decisions that we make when we're feeling well? So a lot of times when we're feeling well, when the flare has lifted and we have some days where we're feeling clear, a lot of times people will even get into almost a, punishing space then. Oh, well, I'm finally feeling well. I would love to just go for a walk around the neighborhood and listen to the birds chirp, but you know, I, I've got too much cleaning to do that didn't get done and, and I need to catch up on stuff. And I feel so guilty about not being here when I was down for three days. I don't deserve to do something for myself now. 
So we can, we can engage in punishing type behavior or choices towards ourselves, whether we feel well or we feel poorly. Right. Well, and it's interesting to me that every one of those things is a conversation that you're having in your head. Like, I mean, it all boils down to how you're talking to yourself again. Like, if you're punishing yourself, you're having that conversation in your mind going, I don't deserve it, or it doesn't matter what I do. Those are all the ways that we're talking to ourselves. And we can become very habituated in our thoughts. These thoughts can become habits. Right. And oftentimes I know a thoughts like they're so habitual that they're instant. You don't even know that you're thinking them before they're already thought. It's, I know that sounds silly, but you, it's hard to catch them in the, in the act is what I'm Right. Absolutely. We could be beating ourselves up for a good five minutes before we even realize it. Yep, exactly. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about like what self-care things might be neglected, I guess you could say. But like on the flip side, if we're not scheduling a pedicure and we're not putting this on our calendar, like what is that actually supposed to look like? As far as self-care? Mm-hmm. Like what are we supposed to do? I guess I want an assignment. <laughs> like. <laughs> I still need the boxes to check, Leslie, please. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think the first, so one of the first things that I do with my clients when we work on this is bringing awareness, because like we just said, we could be going for five minutes and not just take it for granted that we're in a punishing state of mind. And so the first step, I think, is bringing some awareness to what are our thoughts like? Would I say this to anybody else but me? Or, you know, if I were to say this to a friend, if I were to say this to one of my kids, if I were to say this to my spouse, I mean, what would the relationship be like? Yeah. You know, how would my friend respond if I talked like this to them? How would my husband respond? <laughs> right. I would imagine they would not be sticking around for very long. <laughs> like- I mean, it probably, right? I mean, if you kept, you know, berating a loved one, I can't believe you're sick again. I can't believe you ruined this. I can't believe you're going to do something for yourself when you were laying in bed for three days, right? I mean, probably not going to be a real pleasant relationship. (laughs) Exactly. But unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, we're kind of stuck with ourselves. (laughs) So that has to happen. Like it has to be, it has to be dealt with. And I don't think I've ever shared this with you, but I actually have been on a journey in the last three or so years of really paying attention to my thoughts. And taking charge of my thoughts where, you know, I might get five minutes into doing the I'm such a dork kind of thing or whatever. Trying to think of a nice way to say it. <laughs> I don't want to reveal too much. No, <laughs> but it might be five minutes in and then suddenly I'm like, wait a minute. I don't talk to myself that way anymore. This isn't the kind of thoughts that I allow to live in my brain. And it takes a lot of practice, a lot, especially where we, you know, a lot of us have been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And when you identify it, ultimately, because you, if you just say, okay, well, I'm not going to think like this anymore. Well, then now what? Right. We, we have to think something. Right. So the alternative to the self-criticism and the punishing mindset and the shame, right? Thoughts, uh, this shame mindset, feeling ashamed and embarrassed, right? These are all really common dynamics. The replacement for that is self-love, self-acceptance, self-compassion. Well, when you stop allowing a negative thought or all the negative thoughts, it kind of creates a vacuum. 
like an empty space. And you're right, it has to be replaced with something. And it's one thing to catch your thoughts and say, I don't allow them. That's like step one and two. But the third step is even more challenging because if you've been berating yourself for a long time, you don't even know how to say those nice things. Like, Or sometimes you're like, I don't even deserve to say nice things. And you're beating yourself up over not being able to say nice things. And then where are you at? (laughs) Exactly. Right. But, you know, can we love ourselves even if we are embarrassed because we've had to cancel on something? We may feel embarrassed, yes, but can we love ourselves and be embarrassed at the same time? It's really that unconditional love that we strive to give to our children or to our spouse, to a partner, right? Can I love you while you're embarrassed, while you're ashamed, while you're disappointed in yourself? And this is the unconditional love that we're all striving for. And I've just been thinking so much lately about how we're always looking for that unconditional love outside of ourselves. Isn't that interesting that it mirrors how we look for treatment outside of ourselves? But we're always looking outside of ourselves. And the truth of the matter is, if we don't find the love and compassion within ourselves, no amount of love and compassion outside of ourselves is ever going to be enough, ever. And then we go into why don't we love ourselves, right? Where did the shame get laid down? Where did the guilt get laid down? Where did the embarrassment get laid down in the first place? And I think it's sometimes it's okay to try and figure that out. But at the same time, I'm not sure that it 100% matters. Like you, you can love yourself, even if you don't know where the source of that came from. You can just say, I'm not trying to make it sound easy, because it is not easy. But you could say like, I don't know where this shame or embarrassment comes from, or why I have it, but I still I'm okay with who I am and I love myself. Like we don't have to go to, you know, the depths of ourself in therapy to always to be able to love ourselves. I am a huge fan of therapy. So if you need therapy, do it. I will always turn to it when I need it. But I don't think it needs to be an excuse not to allow ourselves to love ourselves. True. Very true. And I think, you know, this is a this is a big part of self-care, the, the choices that we make around our thoughts or behaviors towards ourself. But then why don't we talk a little bit about what prevents us from taking care of ourselves? And so, like, for example, like um, this situation, right, where you go get the, the pedicure and then you feel guilty about it. Oh, I feel guilty that I took the time for myself or I didn't spend, this could have been time spent with my kids or these types of thoughts. So this is where we will have uh, dynamics on the mental and emotional side that will kind of sabotage. It's almost like a self-sabotaging situation. Well, I would get the pedicure, but I feel so guilty when I do it that it's not worth it. So another another thing that's very prominent right now culturally is for women to put themselves first. Make yourself a priority. This is kind of along the same lines you hear this with self-care. Oh, why don't you do some self-care activities? Oh, well, you should be putting yourself first. It's kind of a, it's almost, again, like an accusatory thing. Well, why are you not putting yourself first? And so why don't people put themselves first? Why does this sort of self-sabotaging aspect come in and, and maybe derail our efforts to take good care of ourselves? Well, my my thought in response to that is like, which of my 
300 responsibilities would you like me to put down in order to like, you know, have you ever heard of that analogy where you're juggling balls and you have to figure out which ones are the glass balls and which ones are the ones that bounce and you can let some of them drop. I am not good at deciding which one are the glass balls. So I have <laughs> all the balls in the air. And I, I honestly think that most women probably feel similar in that, like, well, do you want me not to feed my children so I can take care of it? Like, which of these balls do you want me to put down? It's just so hard to figure out. So I love this analogy because if it were cut and dry, which of the balls were the glass balls and which of the balls were the rubber balls? It wouldn't, this wouldn't be difficult at all, but I'm going to make a certain ball, a glass ball that you would call a rubber ball. And you would say, well, Leslie, why don't you just drop that one? It's rubber. And I go, oh no, this is, this is a glass one. I can't drop this. See, my friends a hundred percent would say, Mary, take soccer off of your schedule because to them it's a rubber ball. It's not a priority, but watching my kids play soccer and do it they love and enjoy makes me so happy to see them thriving that it is a glass ball. So I'm not willing to drop that one. Does that make sense? Everybody's glass ball is going to be different. And what I have found in my work is that what determines what is a glass ball and what is a rubber ball comes down many times, not all the time, but many times to coping mechanisms that we have developed in childhood. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example that I've seen come up many times with clients. So many, many women that I've worked with have been profoundly disappointed by a parent, profoundly disappointed and let down. This is not, you know, mommy didn't bring me a lollipop when she went to the store. We're talking, you know, profound disappointments that are generated when you have a parent that's an alcoholic or suffers from a personality disorder, perhaps borderline personality disorder. Unfortunately, you know, when parents are struggling with those types of things, the family life can be extremely chaotic and Promises can be made and not kept, and children can experience profound, profound disappointments. And so how do we cope with that as a child? And so one of the most common coping mechanisms that women who are prone to migraines will develop is they will cope with that profound disappointment that they experienced by sort of making an unconscious vow that they will never disappoint anyone in return. And, you know, certainly we want to be responsible, right? We, we want to be conscientious and we don't want to chronically disappoint and let people down. But when we make an unconscious vow to ourselves to never disappoint, say, our own child, or, you know, our own spouse, our, a loved one in the way that we were disappointed. When we make that unconscious vow, there's no floor on that because disappointment is part of life. People can be disappointed in us fairly or unfairly. You know, people can have reasonable expectations or unreasonable expectations of us that have nothing to do with our behavior. But when we have sort of made this unconscious vow that we're never going to disappoint anyone, then that will turn a ball from rubber to glass. And my guess is very many balls, very 
because I really would believe, and I'm not saying I'm an expert in this, but like if you've made an unconscious vow to never let your child down, you're probably also unconsciously vowing that to most of the people you know. So you're going to say yes to everyone and everything. That's a lot of glass balls. It's a, Yeah, it's a lot of glass balls. And so in the face of, you know, because again, and this way of coping with it is actually very common for women with migraines. So another way of coping with being profoundly disappointed by a parent would be to say, eh, to heck with it. I don't care about anything. And so you can see this in families, right? You might have a family uh, where you have an alcoholic parent and one child kind of copes with that by taking the first track, never disappointing anyone, making that unconscious vow. And they are the ones that quote unquote, you know, get out of it, get out of the town. You know, they quote unquote, make something of themselves. The superstar, the high achiever. They're able to do that because they've kind of vowed unconsciously to never let anyone down. And then you can have, and typically that's the oldest child. And then another way of coping with it, and this is usually going to be like the youngest child is going to cope with it like, eh, I don't care about anything. And this is the person who lets continues to let everyone down, you know, it doesn't follow through, is not conscientious, doesn't, you know, from the outside looks like they don't care about anything. Those women typically don't get migraines. It's the women who are in that first category, those of us women that get the migraines. And so if we have made this unconscious vow to never disappoint anyone, we will always come last. So uh, like I say, this, I just use this as an example because it's been a, a common theme that has come up across many clients, but you can imagine we want to look at, have we taken any unconscious vows and are we operating off of those unconscious vows? And if so, what, how is that affecting the choices that we make towards our own care, our own self-care and our own self-compassion? And I look around me, you know, and I'm sure it's the same with most migraine suffer sufferers, but I look around me and I, I notice that most women really struggle with boundaries. I don't know if that's a type A thing or a trauma thing or whatever, but like most women in my life feel extremely guilty if they don't perform at, you know, A plus plus. 24 seven and they're not there for everyone. I'm, I grew up in a community where it's very service oriented and, you know, <laughs> I've heard stories of people like taking meals to someone a day or two after they've given birth to a baby. It's like, come on, we need to take better care of ourselves, you know, but because we expect so much out, out of ourselves, we don't allow ourselves to set boundaries. So yeah, you know, you think of a woman who just gave birth, she should be the one getting the meals taken to her. <laughs> exactly. But you know, again, this is something that has come up uh, many times. I will just throw this out as an example, something that I've seen before. Uh, many people are raised in a home where selfishness is considered to be the worst thing in the world. The worst person in the world is a selfish person. And that gets laid down early in childhood. And so people will take an unconscious vow to never be selfish because that's that's the worst kind of person in the world, right? So I could imagine a woman who is 
preparing a meal for somebody else two days after the birth of a child, could that be part of the dynamic? I mean, it would make sense if I have an unconscious belief that that I would be the worst person in the world if I were too selfish to make a meal for somebody, right? My own recovery, my own recuperation, my time with my own newborn is not going to be anything in the face of being the worst person in the world, a selfish person. (laughs) So true. So, so often, you know, and this is why to me, it just seems so almost kind of trite to tell people to take care of themselves. Oh, you should do more self-care. Oh, you should get a massage. Oh, you should put yourself first. Take, make yourself a priority. (laughs) Yeah, just make your, but you need to put yourself first. Like as if it were that easy, right? If it were that easy, nobody would have any problems. For real, for real. So for many women with chronic migraines, this is part of the healing process, identifying are there some unconscious dynamics here that are preventing us from taking care of ourselves or draining our vitality. So remember, I talk about the three things that we have to do to restore our health. I call these the three principles. Well, the third principle is restoring our resiliency and vitality. That's critical. Our resiliency and vitality allows us to weather the inevitable stressors of our life, whether they be a thunderstorm, you know, too much sunlight, typical migraine triggers, to being able to weather the things that we call stress, you know, big something big going on at work or God forbid a crisis in the family, those types of stressors that are notorious for causing migraines. We have to have enough resiliency and vitality to weather those stressors so that we continue to feel well. But if we're draining our vitality because we've taken these unconscious vows, we we won't be able to build up enough vitality because we're just draining it, draining it, draining it. So let me ask you a silly question. <laughs> I'm just sitting here thinking, so is the bottom line we all need therapy? Like, <laughs> like, do we need to go dig into our childhood history to figure this out? Like, Well, it's a good question. And, and I'm actually, I, I think you're going to get me on my soapbox a little here, Mary. So watch out. Let's go. <laughs> so I have worked with so many clients who have been to therapists. And because many women with chronic migraines have had what you might call a dysfunctional family background, it's fairly common. And when we get to adulthood, we realize this. And so, right, this is kind of what you are, quote, unquote, supposed to do, right, is you're supposed to go to therapy. And many, many women with migraines will get a migraine after like a mental or emotional stressor, you know, the the big thing at work or, you know family crisis, and then we crash afterwards, et cetera, these types of things, we can tell that there's something going on on the mental and emotional side that's contributing to the migraines. And so I've had many, many clients go to therapists. And I have to say, I think therapists or the, the therapy industry, if you will, is really letting people down because people are not getting results from therapy. When I listen to my clients, what I and, I and I am not a therapist. I do do a lot of work with my clients on the mental and emotional side to get to the root of these types of things. And so when clients tell me the work that they've done in therapy in the past, it is very tied to coping mechanisms, right? Like if somebody has anxiety, well, how do I, let's go to therapy so you can learn how to cope with your anxiety. So I I don't want to cope with my anxiety. I I don't want to have anxiety. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Like I don't want to 
cope with the fact that I have taken an unconscious vow to never let anyone down. I want to be freed from the vow. I want to release the vow. And so what I have found is that therapists are kind of letting people continue on in the mental and emotional dynamic. Maybe they're coping with it better, but they're still continuing on with that mental and emotional dynamic. And then also I found that therapists really treat the mental and emotional side, like we were talking about at the beginning here, like it's a separate part from our body, which it's not. So, you know, we want to, you know, if we are getting a migraine, every time we give a presentation at work, you know, the next day we've got a call in sick because we're in bed, we want to unhook that. Something is starting on the mental and emotional side that we're feeling physically the next day. We don't want to cope with that. We want that unhooked. We want that released. You know, sadly, I have not found that therapists are doing a very good job for women with migraines and sort of getting to, okay, how is this, this, you know, ball of yarns, how is this all connected? And then how do I disconnect all of it? How do I actually unravel all of it? Right. I love that picture just because everything is connected and tied together. But I'm, this is the one beef that I do have with therapy too, is you can't fix 25, 30, 45 years of coping a certain way or having unconscious vows, as you call them, in six to eight weeks. <laughs> therapy is, it's a process and, you know, fixing or changing coping mechanisms takes years sometimes. Well, sometimes it may take that long, but I'll be honest with you. I've had clients that once we do this work and they realize that they've made an unconscious vow and they, they release that. I've had clients have symptoms resolve. I've had clients never get another migraine after that. I've had clients with other health conditions just go away. Right. I I would just like to clarify, I meant in the traditional therapy setting. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I think, again, if we're focused on, you know, coping, it takes years to practice this, you know, a lot of these things, you know, definitely like um, this self-care and self-love and self-compassion exercise. You know, I, I work on this for myself all the time. I mean, this, that'll end the, the day that I die <laughs> and move on to the next realm, right? So yeah, some of these things are definitely a lifetime practice that we cultivate. But on the other hand, some of these things, if we take it seriously and we are open to discovery and, and releasing them, we can, we have the potential to get to get to the bottom of it and release it pretty quickly. I can't even imagine how big of a difference that would make for so many people. Yeah, it's a major, major factor in healing because if we have uh, these types of dynamics on the mental and emotional aspect of ourselves, they will drain our vitality, right? Again, like going back to this common example where people have taken an unconscious vow to never disappoint people. I mean, there's no floor on that. You could disappoint someone at any time. Someone may have unrealistic expectations and be disappointed, but that will still trigger that vow for people. Even when people are sort of unjustly upset with somebody, you know, oh, you let me down. Even if that's an unreasonable expectation on an objective level, that will still trigger someone who's taken that unconscious vow. So then you're at the mercy. So kind of a part two to this, what this does is it sets people up for being at the mercy of other people's inappropriate or dysfunctional expectations. Amen. No, it's not. It's, it's a horrible way to live. 
horrible way to live. So yeah, I mean, anybody could be disappointed with us at any time. And so yeah, absolutely. If if the neighbor becomes disappointed for us, disappointed at us for some unreasonable, you know, objectively unreasonable thing, we could get a migraine. Oh no, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe I, I'm so embarrassed this happened. It can completely drain our vitality and throw us into migraine zone. So, I mean, back to like the to-do list. <laughs> okay. I think I have an issue with to-do lists. I'm not going to lie, but it, I just, I want a concrete check your box off. And from this conversation, I'm feeling like it's not so much of something you check off as much as a journey that you have to take with yourself. Yeah. I've worked with clients where the to-do list is a factor. So no, it's, it's, it's no joke. I'm sorry. If every day. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, I'm such a to-do list maker. So I'm like. <laughs> but it's like every day I have 20 things on my to-do list. And so let's say I have made, I have an unconscious belief or I've made an unconscious vow that people who do not finish their to-do list before they go to bed are horrible people. Well, this is going to interfere with my ability to care for myself by going to bed at a reasonable hour. And I see this a lot with women with migraines. It's like, well, you know, I'm only, I'm fatigued all the time. I'm uh, overusing caffeine during the day. And can hardly stay awake at, you know, after lunch, I'm passing out, going to, you know, wanting to take a nap, going to sleep at work. And I'm going to bed at midnight and waking up at five. I know I need more sleep. Well, why aren't you going to bed earlier? I got too much to do on my to-do list. In the face of being a horrible person who hasn't finished the to-do list and going to sleep, we don't want to be a horrible person, right? We're going to stay up. We'll do anything to not be a horrible person. When I'm just sitting here thinking like, how funny is it that nobody else is checking the to-do list? So who else is going to tell you you're a horrible person? That's 100% your own thoughts. (laughs) Well, usually, usually somebody has told us that horrible people don't get things done. You know, usually there was somebody in our life, doesn't have to be a parent, this could happen in in a school environment, but usually these things happen when we are young, where some, some false thought has been put in place. And on the and unconsciously, we internalize that and then that that will drive us. So, you know, in cases like this, it's not enough. Right. So a typical practitioner. Right. So you go to a typical, say, chiropractor or naturopathic doctor or acupuncturist or something like that. And and they say, well, when do you go to bed? When do you get up? Oh, I go to bed around midnight. I get up around five o'clock. Oh, well, you need more sleep. No wonder you're tired. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I need more sleep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, well, go to bed at nine or 10 o'clock as if it were that easy. And then I would turn around and say, okay, which of my glass balls do you want me to drop? <laughs> well, see, this is the thing, right? right? Why are they all glass? Right? We won't be able to go to bed earlier until we till we figure out why all of those are glass balls. Why aren't some of them rubber? That's the question. And that's the, the answer that has to be discovered in order for healing to take place. Because if, like I say, we know we're not supposed to go to bed at midnight and get up at five. This is not earth shattering, you know, health, revolutionary health information. Everybody knows this. So why are we self-sabotaging? That's part of the healing process. But, you know, I can't tell you how many colleagues complain, how many complaints I hear from colleagues. Well, I tell this person to go to bed at 10 o'clock and she won't do it. Why won't she listen? And that's, you know, that's the mistake that 
people in my profession make, you know, in the natural medicine space. That's the mistake that practitioners make. Well, I told her to go to bed earlier. Now it's on her. Because they're not addressing the whole person. They're not exactly looking at the underlining reason why going to bed on time is a difficult thing for a person. Exactly. And, you know, you don't need to consult anybody to, f- to be told that you shouldn't be going to bed at midnight and getting up at five. Everybody, like I say, this is not... <laughs> you know, (laughs) breaking news here, the true guide, right? And this is how I think of myself. I'm, I'm a guide for people because we all have to walk our own healing journey. We all have to walk on our own path, but having a guide is really, really helpful. It's very useful. And so I'm the guide. And so when we've got a roadblock in the path, I'm here to help my clients. Okay. What is the roadblock? Why is the roadblock here? How are we going to work around the roadblock? Or can we clear the roadblock? But just telling people to go to bed earlier, that does nothing. People know they're not getting enough sleep. That's not the work, telling people to get more sleep. The work is helping people discover for themselves why they are prioritizing all of these other things above their own needs, their own health, their own peace of mind. That's the real journey. And I think when you talk about never be selfish, like it makes me think, you know, it's not selfish to get a good night's sleep. It's not selfish to eat healthy. It's not selfish to take a break. Things that are selfish are taking the last meal when somebody else hasn't had one and you've had one. That's selfish. You know what I mean? Like there's a huge difference in in what we define as selfish or shouldn't define as selfish. And and the rational mind, the conscious mind can easily say that, but the unconscious mind doesn't connect to that, you know? How many times have we told ourselves and other people have told us, you can take a break. You can you can put that down. You can rest. If only it were that easy. Nobody would have any problems if it were that easy. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice? I need one of those easy buttons. Where do you pick those up? <laughs> <laughs> So when you work with a client, I mean, it sounds to me like that the journey is figuring out, you know, what is blocking them in an unconscious way from taking care of themselves and kind of just pointing them in the right direction. You know, a lot of what we need to do to heal is not earth shattering information. Like, you know, we all know we're supposed to get enough sleep. We all know that we're, you know, we're supposed to eat enough vegetables. I mean, this is not, like I say, this isn't breaking news. Why don't people do that? Well, and honestly, I, I'm guessing a lot of us are expecting this podcast to be like, okay, Dr. Leslie has now told me t- that I need to read more books and meditate, get my exercise and take a bubble bath and schedule that pedicure, girls. <laughs> It's not the problem. It's not the problem at all. I mean, I've had clients that, you know, my goodness, I mean, the number of clients that have had a history of an eating disorder in their past. I've had clients that have, when they were younger, mealtime was always, you know, source of fighting, you know, between their parents or had clients that were shamed a lot at the meal table. Boy, do you think that might impact somebody's ability to eat in a health supporting way? Of course it's going to, right? And so most practitioners, they just give a bunch of handouts. Okay, here's a list of foods to eat. Here's a list of foods to not eat. Let me know how it goes. 
And then, again, I hear them complain all the time. Oh, well, I told her what to eat and what not to eat, and she keeps eating the stuff she shouldn't eat and not eating the stuff she should eat. I mean, what else am I supposed to do? Well, to me, as the guide, you're supposed to help her understand why she is kind of self-sabotaging herself around the choices that she's making with her food, right? Because the choices that we make around what we eat is one of the most foundational ways that we show our own self-care and self-compassion and self-love towards ourselves. And so if someone is not making choices that are self-caring in that area, isn't it the guide's job to help them uncover why? Right. It just sounds like traditionally or pop culturally, we have been doing self-care backwards or preaching self-care backwards for so long, right? It's always, you know, the bubble bath, the mani-pedi, the massage, the girls' night out, the girl, you know, the girls' trip. Which is all beautiful. Right. Oh yeah. I love I love doing all that stuff. Like sign me up for the whole thing. You yeah. Just- <laughs> Right? Kit and caboodle, right? Especially it's 2022. We could do some of this stuff again. But, you know, if we are not, right, if we're just going to do those things and then beat ourselves up afterwards or feel like we're going to get beat up afterwards, well, yeah, I went on the girls trip and I came home and look at the house. Now I'm being punished because I went away for three days. It's not self-care. It's the opposite of self-care. And then it so goes we, back to the whole thing I said earlier about as long as we're looking outside of ourselves for that loving compassion, like you can do a hundred many putties, but if what's going on inside you is ugly and, and hurtful to yourself, that many putty is not going to do any good. Right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Mary. I think we've come full circle. What do you think? <laughs> I'm like, I've had chills more than once talking about this. <laughs> So. Well, I'm really glad we got to cover it today because it's really critical. We've had this topic on our list for a while, and I'm really glad we got to it today because I think it's super important. So thank you so much. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks. And thank you for listening. Before you go, be sure to like this episode and subscribe to this podcast. Do you have someone in your life who would benefit from what we talked about today? Please share on your social media. And if you want to stay connected, join my free Facebook group with over 11,000 women who are rediscovering a migraine-free life. Go to Healy Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar ND on Facebook, or you can go to healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we will redirect you to the group. Well, thank you so much, Mary. Talk to you next time. All right. See you then. And thank you for listening. Before you go, be sure to like this episode and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, and other popular podcast platforms. Do you have someone in your life who would benefit from what we talked about today? Please share it with them. Share on your social media. Share within other migraine Facebook groups that you are in. We really want to get the word out that you can recover your health and stop getting chronic migraines. And if you want to stay connected, join my free migraine Facebook group with over 11,000 women who are rediscovering a migraine-free life. Go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND, on Facebook or to healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we'll redirect you to the Facebook group. 